This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Today I'll be joined by acclaimed British historian Neil Ferguson. We'll talk about why he thinks the dominance of Western civilization is rapidly coming to an end, as well as his thoughts on the coming battle between generations. Do you know enough about what you have to do to keep your brain healthy as you age? I'll talk to Dr. William Reichman and Anthony Melman from Baycrest. They'll give us some tips on staying sharp and tell us about a partnership with Zoomer Media to bring you all the information. And Mary Eileen Williams, a Zoomer job counselor, will tell us why the holiday season is actually the perfect time to get out there and look for work. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Here in Ontario, the minority Liberals have moved to fulfill an election promise to caregivers. In the last session of the legislature before the winter break, they introduced a bill to expand a program that provides up to eight weeks of unpaid leave for people caring for a loved one who is dying. The change would extend the program to those who are looking after a family member who has a serious injury or illness, including cancer and strokes. The province is also calling on the federal government to make the caregiver leave time eligible for employment insurance benefits, which it did for the family medical leave plan. Earlier this week, Japan issued an apology to Canadian prisoners of war from World War II. It was the 70th anniversary of Japan's invasion of Hong Kong, as well as the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Nearly 2,000 Canadian troops were sent to reinforce the Allies defending Hong Kong as Japanese forces massed near the border in 1941. Those who survived were held prisoner until Japan's surrender on August 15, 1945. 267 captured men died in prison camps where they were subjected to what Canada calls deliberate and systematic mistreatment. It's a really big job, but it doesn't take the kind of toll we imagine. There's a common assumption that the stress of being President of the United States would take years off a Commander-in-Chief's life. But a new study finds that most Presidents have actually lived longer than other American men their age, and all living Presidents have either surpassed the average expected lifespan or are likely to do so. The study's author thinks that one major contributing factor is that all presidents share three traits that have been linked to longer life, wealth, education, and access to health care. In his words, they've scored the trifecta. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And finally, Canada's Michael Bublé, a longtime favorite here at Zoomer Radio, is continuing his reign at the top of the U.S. Billboard 200 album chart. His album Christmas has taken the top spot for the second week in a row. The album sold 293,000 copies last week and over a million copies since being released in October. 
Michael Bublé isn't the only Canadian with a Christmas album on the charts. Justin Bieber's Under the Mistletoe has climbed to the number three spot. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Aging well and brain health are at the top of our agenda here. That's why Zoomer Media has formed a new strategic partnership with Baycrest, a global leader in research and innovation in this area. The idea is to present the latest information and advice to Zoomers who need it most. With me, I have Dr. Bill Reichman, president of Baycrest, and Tony Melman, chairman of the board. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Well, first of all, let's get a little bit of background to set the stage. What is Baycrest? How big is it? What's the scope? How many patients? What are the main things you do? Baycrest uh, resides on a 22-acre campus in Toronto, and it is home to one of the world's leading research institutes in brain function and particularly the aging brain. As well, Baycrest cares for 2,500 seniors per day across a full continuum of care from a hospital nursing home, assisted living, and home-based services as well. What are the kinds of research that you are doing in the field of brain aging and memory? Research at Baycrest is designed to help us to understand not only as we age, how do we keep our bodies as fit as possible, but quite importantly, particularly for us Zoomers, how do we keep our minds and our brains as healthy as possible? Bill, how important is it to educate people about the normal aging? Because I think there are things that some people would see as normal part of aging that maybe are not. Much of what we do at Baycrest is to educate people as to what they can expect are the normal changes that occur in terms of your memory and other cognitive functions as you get older and what might be changes more suggestive of a disease like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease or stroke. So it is very important for people to understand the differences between these different things and what they can do to keep their brains, their minds as active and as vital as possible. I think, I think that's very important because too many people accept the fact that they're aging and just go along for the ride. And you can fight it in a very positive way. Now, I'm, I'm going to take the, the classic example that people worry about. You know, you've got to leave the house immediately or you're going to be late and you can't find the keys. Now, I'm going to fess up about the worst place I, I found my keys, and that was in, in the cutlery drawer. You know, should I be worried? Generally speaking, the reality is that most of us, as we enter middle age, no doubt find that we are more forgetful than we used to be. And in fact, the science supports that. As we get older, just like there are other changes in our bodies, there are also age-related normal changes in our minds. And one of those changes is forgetfulness. Another change is that we don't think quite as quickly on our feet as younger people. We don't multitask as well. There are things that we can do. So we know exercise is one and keeping your mind engaged. What are some of the other things? It's important also to engage in healthy dietary behavior. So there are certain foods that we know are better brain foods than others. And these generally have high antioxidant potential, foods like green leafy vegetables, Mediterranean-type diets, including fishes, particularly cold water fishes. And the last thing that I want to say, which perhaps is the most difficult for many people, is to keep our stress levels down. What the science tells us is things that people actually can enjoy are things that are good for your brain. For example, a senior who volunteers has better health outcomes, has better mental functioning than seniors who don't volunteer. Seniors who take up a second language, learn a new musical instrument. Seniors who take up photography, drama. All of these things have demonstrated benefit. You're also talking about the business of learning something new. 
Absolutely. It's the novelty. It's using your brain in creative ways, ways that perhaps you haven't before, that seem to derive the most benefit. Merely doing the same kinds of tasks over and over again, whether it's a crossword puzzle, Sudoku, that kind of thing, doesn't seem to have the same degree of benefit as doing something novel. And importantly, activities that keep you engaged with other human beings also seem to have more benefit. It is about education, and that's one of the things that Baycrest is very keen to do in working with Zuma, is to get this information out to those who care and who want to use it, because it can make a huge difference. So just to let people know, the, the main aspect of the partnership for now is putting the information from Baycrest on our biggest website, the 50plus.com website, and there's a special section called Inside the Lab. What are some of the things that people will find there? Well, some of the the most vital things will be what is normal and what isn't normal. What should I be concerned about to bring to my doctor's attention? What should I just accept and work on on my own behalf? As well as what can I do about the things that are changing in my body and in my brain as I get older so that I retain my youthfulness? The partnership is perfect because it gives us a mechanism to get this knowledge out and give access to that database which it's like, you know, sitting on, on wonderful ideas, but nobody's really accessing it in the kind of way that it should be accessed. Anything that Baycrest and Zoomer Media can do to help people stay in control of their own lives is a very positive contribution to our community. Okay, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Tony Melman, Dr. Bill Reichman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Libby. Thank you. For more information, go to 50plus.com and click on Inside the Lab. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. It's time for a quick break. When we return, I'll be joined by historian Neil Ferguson. He'll tell us about what he calls the killer apps that made Western civilization so successful. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Now it's time for a look at the big picture, the really big picture. Superstar historian Neil Ferguson has a theory about why Western civilization dominated the world for 500 years and why he believes that predominance is rapidly coming to an end. His latest book is Civilization, The West and the Rest, and I sat down with him when he was in town to speak at the Ramsey Luncheon. Neil Ferguson, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Well, in the book, you say that the West has dominated the world for the last 500 years because of six of what you call killer apps. So why that imagery and what are they? Well, killer apps came about because I was trying to write a history book that my teenage children would read and enjoy. And if I had said to them, hey, kids, there are or were six institutions or worse, six complexes of ideas and institutions that set the West apart from the rest, they would have zoned out before I got to the end of the sentence. So I thought, I'll call them the killer apps, and that will simultaneously engage their interest and annoy reviewers in a, in a good way. It's not a bad image, actually, because when you take out your smartphone, you see these icons and you tap them and magic things happen. The things I'm talking about are a bit like that. They look simple. When I list them, number one, competition, number two, science, three, property rights, four, medicine, five, the consumer society, 
Six, the work ethic. Sounds simple, right? But these six things, in fact, were highly complex bundles of, of ideas and institutions that evolved in a unique way in the Western world. That set the West apart from the rest in ways that fundamentally transformed the world. The thing that I'm explaining here is an amazing 500-year process of divergence that led the West to be far richer than the rest, led Westerners to live much longer than what I call Resterners. It also created a, a system of enormous inequality in the world in which Western empires essentially ruled everybody else. Now you're saying that the Resterners have downloaded the apps. That's why this is a nice uh, metaphor, because these institutions and ideas were evolved originally in the West, but they were a kind of open source software. Anybody could download it. And the Japanese were the first to do this. I mean, over 100 years ago, the Japanese decided, well, we can't possibly beat these people. Let's copy them. And that process of, of copying Western institutions has now spread from Japan to most of Asia and much of the rest of the world. In much of the world, particularly the Islamic world, the tension has always been between adopting the technology, but they don't necessarily want the ideas and the intellectual climate that led to the technology. So do you think that's changed? I think the Islamic world is a, is a puzzle because there are parts of it, Indonesia, for example, and indeed Turkey, that are moving very rapidly in the direction of certainly economic westernization. But there are other parts that aren't, where in fact uh, the impact of Islamic institutions is really a handicap uh, on economic development. What we're calling the Arab Spring, by the way, that's a real misnomer, the revolution that swept through North Africa and parts of the Middle East seems highly unlikely to me to deliver stable, prosperous societies because very few of the killer apps are present in a country like Egypt. Sharia law, the thing that the Muslim Brotherhood wants to see introduced, would mean a completely alternative direction. And I think one that has been shown historically to lead to poverty as well as to misery. And I would be willing to bet that as the Arab Spring turns into an Islamist winter, a lot of people are going to be heading across the Mediterranean into aging Europe. If that's the case, why do you think the West is losing its dominance? Well, I don't think the West is losing its dominance uh, to Islam. I think the challenge posed by radical Islam is a, a nihilistic one. The challenge that we need to take more seriously is the challenge posed by China and also the challenge posed more generally by Asian economies. The Chinese challenge is interesting because although they've downloaded most of our killer apps, they don't want private property rights, the rule of law, and representative government. That's clear. So this Those is a, are pretty big things. Right. And this is a very big difference. In 2016, five years from now, China's economy will be, according to the IMF, the biggest in the world. We shouldn't be complacent about what that means because China will still be a one-party state with significant limits on individual freedom when that happens. That's a big challenge. It's a challenge not only economically, but it could be a challenge strategically because contrary to the assumption that all innovation happens in Silicon Valley and the Chinese just assemble stuff for Apple, in truth, China is innovating in a whole range of different ways, one of which is in cyber warfare. I think the war of the future between the West and the rest may very well be fought in cyberspace. And that war is a war that the West is not guaranteed to win. So what do we do to keep our place? Do you have a prescription? I do. I'm not a, a, a fatalist. Uh, this is not a declinist book that predicts uh, an inevitable decline. On the contrary, 
the point I'm making is that these are institutional stories and therefore we can fix the problem. It's, it's not something in our DNA, it's not in the weather, it's not in geography. The rise of the West was about institutions. And our institutions no longer work as well as they used to. The things we used to be really good at, say education, we're not as good at. Uh, and that's fixable. Ditto the rule of law. We used to have great legal institutions in North America. We don't anymore. I think we can fix these problems, but we need to get serious about what's wrong with our society. It cannot be good that the standard of high school education in North America is so bad that the gap between a 15-year-old in Shanghai and a 15-year-old in the U.S. is as big in terms of mathematical attainment as the gap between an American and someone in Albania. I mean, that's fixable, but we're not talking about it. I'd like to switch gears for the last few minutes. You have some interesting ideas about a battle between the generations. In what I've read of yours, you focus on the problems in the United States with, with the amount of debt that we have left our grandchildren. Do you think that is the same in Europe and in a place like Canada? The problem exists throughout the Western world, both sides of the Atlantic. It varies from country to country according, A, to the demographics, and B, to the way the welfare state works. The Canadian problem is less serious for a number of reasons. The public finances of Canada are in a healthier state, uh, partly because of uh, reforms that were undertaken in earlier difficult times back in the, uh, in the 90s, uh, partly because of Canada's natural resource wealth. Um, Canada's an economy that by West, Western, by Western standards is doing pretty well. But you still have the same generational issues. There is still a fundamental uh, conflict of interest between those who are about to retire and plan to live on really rather generous pensions, particularly public sector pensions, and the people who are entering the workforce who are finding it very hard to find a job, very hard to afford a home, and who are going to be looking at very large tax bills during their working lives. The interesting thing about generational politics is that we don't really have the language for it. We're still set up for a politics based on, on distribution in the, in the here and now. It's not quite class politics, but it's broadly speaking the politics of the 19th and 20th century. We have to adjust our language to take account of the entirely new distributional problems that exist. It is more and more going to be a story of the old versus the young, and we're going to have to relabel our, relabel our political system to take account of that. Okay, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. There's a lot more to talk about. Neil Ferguson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Libby. Neil Ferguson's book, Civilization, the West and the Rest, is published by Penguin. <laughs> I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's time for another break. When we return, we'll hear why the holidays are actually a good time for job hunting. And one of the biggest traditions of the season is Handel's Messiah. We'll feature some music from the great oratorio and hear from singer Michael Burgess about why it's so magical. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Of all the things you have to do this holiday season, is job hunting on the list? Well, maybe it should be. I talked to Mary Eileen Williams, an expert in career development who specializes in working with job seekers in midlife. Hi, Mary Eileen. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Libby. I find this idea very interesting. The holiday season that we're in now is actually the best time for people we call Zoomers to start looking for a new job. Yes, and there are a few reasons. The first being your competition levels drop dramatically. People stay home. They think, 
Why bother looking for a job in December? Because no one's going to hire. That may be true. Uh, they may, you may not be hired within the next week or two, but there are plenty of opportunities to set yourself up for reason number two, <laughs> that this is such a fabulous time. And that is because January and February tend to be the strongest hiring periods of the year. And that is because that's when budgets come up and people have the money to hire workers. Absolutely. And for one other factor, too, it's like organizations go through uh, the same process that many of us as individuals do. It's kind of like we list out our New Year's resolutions. We decide what we want to accomplish this year. It's a fresh start. They put their budgets in place. They start new projects. Uh, they begin new initiatives. And they need, many times, employees, new employees, to carry out their plans. Tomorrow morning, December the 12th, what should people do if they're looking for work? Well, I cannot stress this enough. Zoomers, we need to recognize that we have so many attributes that come with our age, that come with our experience, that come with our highly honed skill sets. We want to come from a position of strength. So get out there, present yourself as a confident can-do candidate, and start uh, using some of these parties, gatherings, community events that are all over the calendar at this time of year. Uh, recognize that uh, these are prime opportunities for you to increase your contacts and present yourself in a friendly holiday manner, but also in a professional way as, as well. Okay. On that note, Eileen Williams, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. You can get more tips on Mary Eileen's website, feistysideof50.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Well, it's that time of year. Choirs all across Canada and around the world are putting on productions of Handel's Messiah. Next Saturday, singer Michael Burgess will join the Ontario Philharmonic at Christ Church Deer Park in Toronto for his performance of the Oratorio. Even though it's performed every year, he still finds it a very special event. You know, I think that it's one of those things that uh, it's like the Nutcracker. It's like the National Anthem. It doesn't really happen to you till you're right there in it. Uh, you think, oh, yeah, the Messiah. I've heard, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. <laughs> but when you actually hear the music and how stunningly beautiful it is and how rich it is, you once again marvel at the brilliance of what Handel created with this. One popular tradition is Tafel Music's Sing Along Messiah. It's an annual event at Massey Hall. To help get the crowd in the spirit, Tafel Music's choir director, Ivars Torrens, dresses up as George Friedrich Handel himself. I thought, listen, if we're trying to bring the audience into what it would have been like in a performance directed under Handel, why don't I try and get the costume right as well? Now, it took me, it was like three seasons. I started out, I had the, the shirt, the breeches, and the vest, and then there was one season early on where at 2 a.m. I still have the coat out on the floor without sleeves on it and I'm tearing my hair out going <laughs> and so I had to think up something fast oh, for that season but, but since then it's been yes that costume that uh, I, I fashioned according to 
18th century tailoring techniques and the whole thing. Tafel Music's Sing Along Messiah takes place next Sunday at Massey Hall. You can get tickets at masseyhall.com. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon on the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.